<laughs> now I'm starting after three attempts. Oh, all right. This is Michelle coming at you from the Bravery Board podcast. Welcome. We're so glad that you are tuned in and listening. I'm here with Kate. Hello. And Jen. Hello. And we are going to talk about the Enneagram. Um, super excited about this topic, guys. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I just can't wait to kind of dive in. So to kind of uh, intro, I guess, we're we're going to talk about the Enneagram in four different parts for the next um, few months as we dive into this topic. Um, and I think as we were discussing the four of us through the Bravery Board about some different ideas that we wanted to do to cover um, for 2020, we started talking about how the Enneagram really impacted us in 2019 and how we learned a lot through that as a tool. Um, we're all part of a women's group that we kind of read a book on and started diving into the Enneagram that way. And it's just really been a big part of all of our lives. And it was a really good conversation that we had as a group. And then we're really excited to bring that to you all through this podcast and through our gathering that's coming up in February. So to kind of get started, we're going to talk a little bit about what the Enneagram is, how we found it, how we love it, what numbers we are and all that good stuff. Um, and yeah, anybody else have anything to say about that as we get rolling into it? No, I mean, let's get into it, but I think we're going to start with kind of what the Enneagram is. I mean, it's kind of a weird name, right? Oh, I know. I remember the first time I heard the Enneagram and I was like, it sounds like pentagram. And then if you see the book that's by um, Richard Rohr, it looks like almost like mystical, like some sort of a... Uh-huh. The actual diagram is a pentagram. It is a pentagram. It is? Is it a pentagram? It would be nine. Yeah, I guess it's nine, so it's not a pentagram. Anyway. Anyway, it looks... I digress. It looks, it looks a little bit weird, and the name is even a little bit weird. Yeah, it really is. Um, I think it kind of throws people off because it seems... And, and Rohr himself is... A, bit of a mystic and so it kind of like strikes people as this mystical tool but uh, the Enneagram of personality is a a personality system or a model that explains personality as an outgrowth of basic motivations or you may hear fears and I'm kind of coming late to the game later than Michelle and Jen because I came in at um, they had read the entire book and I hadn't so I read a little bit after them, so they may jump in with with their thoughts and and more elaboration on this, but when I was looking into it, I was really interested, where did it come from, Um, what is it useful for, how does it work, what it is, and and also I think it's important to talk about what it isn't, so um, before I jump into all of that, I would like to talk a little bit, like what what isn't it? Well, (laughs) that is, yeah, that is Um, kind of the question, that's a really good way to approach it. Yeah, you know, I think People listening have either, um, they know their number, they're into the Enneagram, or they've at least heard of it. I think it's reached a saturation point, which doesn't make it any less of a useful tool, but it is a common enough word that um, it's important to talk about what it is and what it isn't. So like what it isn't, what the Enneagram isn't, it is not this flawless method for precisely categorizing 7 billion people. (laughs) 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 into uh, nine distinct and separate groups of people as if there's only nine personality types 
um, mm-hmm. out there. I think that's a misunderstanding of what the Enneagram is trying to do. It's not typing, it's modeling and well, if creating we actually a system. really get into the Enneagram, there's with the subtypes, there's 27 types. Exactly. And with wings accounted for, there's 54. Exactly. Wait, really? Yeah. I guess I didn't ever do the math mm-hmm. on the wings. Like, I knew there was the 27 types, but right. I didn't realize that if you actually add in the wings, there's that yep. many more. Yep. Yeah. Well, still, though, 7 billion people in 54 yeah, categories. Yeah, 54. So you would say, well, you know, you may meet two people who react completely differently in any given situation, but they may say they're the same number, and that's entirely possible because this isn't like we're just putting people in buckets of this is what you do, Mm -hmm. this is how you act. It's not that. Mm -hmm. Um, It is also not a method to predict a person's future behavior. It's not a behavior predictor Mm -hmm. or anything like that. It talks more about motivations and fears than it ever does like try to predict what people are going to do it couldn't and that's Uh, why nothing can and that's why i really liked the enneagram to begin with because it does tackle that motivation piece Mm -hmm. it's not in personality in the construct of that yes um instead of you know all of these different complex facets of course it's complex if it's motivation but it's nice that it's sort of siloed into that it's it's more so a growth tool than it is a predictive tool Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. 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 Um, it is also not an excuse for unhealthy or hurtful behavior. <laughs> um, you know, somebody does something obnoxious and then their immediate response is, well, I'm an eight. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's like, well, do better. Because... <laughs> it's funny that you choose eight for that. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm going to say people. this really bold thing and make you feel uncomfortable because I'm an eight. <laughs> yes. Or <laughs> act cold because I'm a five, you know, just mm-hmm. anything like that. Um, and finally, what it is not is it is not a Christian personality test. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I think it's sometimes by some people marketed as that, but it's a system or a model a lot of Christians use, but it isn't more biblical than, you know, another personality assessment or tool or anything like that. It's not biblical at all. Mm-hmm. So, um, so while, while a lot of Christians use it, a lot of other people use it too. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have that that cross stamped on it why why kate do you know i know you did the research on the background mm-hmm. of it which is so funny because i i've learned a lot about the enneagram this year but i have not learned where it came from which mm-hmm. i think you're going to tell us a little bit about that but yeah. why is it tied to christian culture so much and what like did it start that way is there something about christian culture that adopted it i mean I don't think it started that way, but depending on who you ask, a lot of people, there is no official owner of the Enneagram. It's like something that a lot of people would consider themselves expert in with no sort of like qualifications necessary. They just learned a lot about it. Mm -hmm. So they may tell you it's the source is this or the source is that. There's a lot of different information online. If you Google it, you'll find a lot of different stuff that you may not like or you may like. Um, but I think some of the roots of it being um, accepted a lot in Christian circles is Roar. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, you know. Richard he, Roar, for <clears throat> those listening, if you don't know. Yeah, I'm just name dropping. <laughs> Roar. Roar, you know. <laughs> um, he wrote about it and really began, although I don't think he popular, he didn't mainstream it because that's only something that I think has happened recently. I do think that he made a lot of headway in opening up the door to that in a lot of Christian circles because some of what I've read is that it didn't start out, it was not a 
a something that started out in Christian circles mm-hmm. at all. Um, that it may have been more tied to kind of like an appropriated Eastern religion, mm-hmm. not in the East, but somebody, but but a, a, somebody maybe from the West who had appropriated mm-hmm. an Eastern religion, and then began to use this as a tool um, for that. But again, I think there's a lot of different influences. Um, so what is it then? Um, it is a personality system that has been developed over time by multiple different contributors who may or may not have collaborated in their efforts. So it's something that I would not say is a scientifically valid um, tool, but that doesn't mean it's not useful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important to note that whenever we're talking about the science of personality psychology, the psychology of personality, the first question is, well, what are the psychometrics on that? Is it valid? And I think like that's a great question to ask if you're trying to create a tool that is scientifically valid, mm-hmm. but apply it to the right things. If nobody is claiming that it's scientifically valid, it may not be important that it is. It can still be something that's useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and you being, forget it, I'm going to jump ahead and spoiler mm-hmm. alert, you're a five. Yeah. <laughs> but you being a five, do you feel like it's still useful even though it's not something that's like... tested and measured and all of that is useful for what it is yeah and I think that that that's not taking away from what it is I think that's just the most accurate statement that I can make and like as long as you don't try and sell it as something it's not then it is I I have found it to be very useful in my own experience and and we'll go into that a little bit more later our own experiences with the numbers that that resonate most with us but um I think some things are important to look at, you know, if you make the claim, then you should be able to back it up. But um, I don't make a claim that it that this would be scientifically valid, and so I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people are not, mm-hmm. and you may have met those people, or they, you know. But uh, most of the the tools that people do use, like the MBTI and and um, Taylor Johnson are all pretty much useless in that sense as well. <laughs> so That's nobody's, point. you know, the big five is like out there and it's doing okay, but like there, nobody, there's no really like assessment that's like a shining star, like this beacon to everybody of like, this is what personality is and we can help explain you. Like mm-hmm. we are way too vast mm-hmm. and complex and so far we've not really hit on a tool that's really helped us to either predict behavior super well or you know, understand each other better than like just really knowing each other's experiences. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And to that point, the Enneagram is a good tool to explore those differences. Mm -hmm. And that's what I would call it is a a tool. Yeah. And it, and when we say the Enneagram, I think it's also important to note that like, it's such a broad term. It encompasses a lot of different tools, both the ones that you find for free on the internet and then the ones that you find in books or the ones that you would pay to do like the, um, the, the Riso Hudson, the mm-hmm. R-H-E-T-I or the Ready, yeah. mm-hmm. um, that one you, you do pay for, but they have done, they have made claims to its validity that I won't speak to. Um, but there's no one official Enneagram institution or organization that like owns the idea of it. Mm-hmm. It's like group property. And so that's why you'll find a lot of different Virgins online and, and a lot of and that's why a lot of people may have a problem with it mm-hmm. because you don't have like one standard mm-hmm. um, assessment that you take. And I've heard of at least like five or six different institutes that have certifications mm-hmm. behind it, like mm-hmm. the Narrative Enneagram, uh, the Ready 
you know, I, I don't even know all of them that exist, but there's so many out there and they all have a little bit of nuance to them as well. Yes. Well, and I'll say that a lot of times I've heard of people say that they've taken the test and then they get back their number and mm-hmm. they'll either have like three numbers or two right. numbers that are pretty equal mm-hmm. in their results or like I, my number wasn't correct. So it came back that I was a two and mm-hmm. spoiler alert, I'm a four. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's interesting too, that nobody can really claim that they're going to be able to give you a test and it's going to be able to come out with your exact results. It's more, and what I've heard, and I can't remember where I heard this. Maybe it was just like something passed along between groups of friends, or maybe I read it mm-hmm. somewhere, but that to be able to really know what your Enneagram number is, you have to read all of the numbers and then one is going to resonate with you more than the others. I... I've read that too, and and I think that's true. And, you know, I think something that's really important to note is when you're taking an assessment that's asking you questions like this or that, or do you do this or that, like the result is what you told it it will be. Right. <laughs> so if that makes sense, I no, hope it, it does. Totally. Um, so every single, and, and there are some assessments out there that really do a great job of trying to control for that. Mm-hmm. But in the end, that's what it is. Like if there, you know, one time I wanted to get a certain score on the MBTI. And so I answered the questions in a way that got that score. And mm-hmm. like, that's one of the big flaws with the MBTI. But, but it would be the same flaw with, with anything like how you answer it is the result that you're any going to get. Any mm-hmm. self-reporting. And I, I yeah. found that too, just in any of the studies that I did getting, you know, doing mm-hmm. my master's work and that kind of thing is that, you don't, if you're going to test somebody in the school system, for instance, if you're going to um, test a student on whether or not they have like depression or if they have some sort of a psychological disorder, mm-hmm. you don't give them the test, just the test, and you don't give just their parents the test. You give their parents, their yeah. teachers, their counselor, their... Yeah, that and across you, the three spheres. Yes. Of, yeah. And you put it all together. So it's, if you're self-reporting, mm-hmm. a lot of times it is what you want it to be is what it yeah. turns out. A little side note for all of our listeners too. I would highly recommend if you've only taken a free version online mm-hmm. to pay for one of the um, paid for tests like the Ready. Uh, and not that I'm exclusively recommending that one. I just can't remember the names of some of the others that are a little bit, um, but I think the ready is like 13 or 14 bucks, Mm -hmm. but I highly recommend that over taking a free, um, version just because those are, they just don't seem to really, yeah, they're kind of have the controls. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the questions are a little bit hard to understand in mm-hmm. some instances I found because I've taken both the, the free one and the, mm-hmm. the ready so mm-hmm. and you know something that I, I've noticed when when I took it and they said okay you, well you're one of these three so I read all nine of them just to see and I read them in the road back to you so it was like a pretty robust explanation of them and and I think one thing that the Enneagram has going for it is that none of them are that great. Like, <laughs> you read it, you're like, ooh, I don't want to be that. Ooh, I don't want to be that either. Like, oh, well, this sounds, sounds good. Nope, never mind. So it's like, like, it's not like you're picking like, okay, so there's eight ugly ducklings and the one beauty queen, and you're going to pick that, and everybody's going to like flock to that one. It's like you really can look at it and be like, you know what, that motivation or that fear really does deeply resonate, resonate with me, mm-hmm. and so I think that might be it. Mm-hmm. But... But even, you know, I think one of the reasons it'll be really great to, I think we mentioned already that we're, our next gathering is over the Enneagram and Jen is going to be one of our speakers. And if you're up in the air over what your number is or if you're in between two, 
to, to either come to the gathering or tune into the podcast from it because I think it may help um, really narrow it down mm-hmm. a little bit when you're talking about the wings and, mm-hmm. and, and everything else that I haven't looked into that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really want to get into subtypes and wings, which we mm-hmm. won't be doing too much of that during this podcast unless I start to go haywire. <laughs> so. Jen, Jen has been doing lots of research. <laughs> and just to plug that, we'll probably say it again at the end, but that's February 8th is our gathering where we're going to be talking about it in person. But anyway, Mm -hmm. so, okay, Kate, any, did we interrupt you? Is there anything else that you really learned by researching where it came from or what it is? You know, the only other thing was we kind of touched on a little bit when you're asking about the history of it was, um, kind of like, what is it? Why is it so popular in Christian circles? And I think that's one thing that I kind of want to flag a little bit. Um, because it does get this reputation as being mystical or spiritual. And I I want to emphasize that it was created by humans for humans. There is nothing mystical. It was not created by demons. It was not created by angels. <laughs> it was not handed down on high from a holy wise man on top of a mountain. It's simply um, a bunch of questions that seem to lead to the answers that help people understand themselves better. And I think as time goes on, we'll come up with better and different ways. This is just the one we're using right now. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing like is not overly scientific and and I think it's important not to overly spiritualize it. It can be useful mm-hmm. to Christians, but but to say that it is um, you know, overly spiritual I think would be selling something kind of like snake oil. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. it is what it is and it is useful to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I'll say I think I was listening to I think I was listening to a podcast where somebody did describe it as they were first talking about the Enneagram or heard about the Enneagram and they heard about it over and over from all of these people and it was being sold to them in some ways like snake oil Mm -hmm. because people you interact with something that gives you insight into yourself and it's I know for me it's really nailed down some things for me that I don't think I really wanted to see absolutely um and helped me um in my relationships in a way where I can see where my motivations lie that maybe aren't so pure. And I kind of had some sort of a veil over it that it was more pure than it Mm -hmm. was. And so it's helped me to really see that. But I guess what I'm saying is, is that I, for me, it was such a transformative bit of information. And once I learned more about it, it was so important to me on how I saw myself that it's almost like you just want to go out and be like, have you heard about the Enneagram? It's so amazing. And you want to sell it as snake oil to other people yeah. because it's so exciting. Mm-hmm. And when it interacts in your world in such a way that changes you, you, you want other people to have that experience as well. The problem with that sometimes is that we can get so excited about something that maybe doesn't resonate with someone else that much. Yeah. And so we can be like super pro Enneagram, so excited this is everything and forget that maybe that makes some people feel uncomfortable because right. maybe they haven't found that yet or maybe they don't feel, um, I don't know, as attached to it, I guess. So I guess I'll just put that out there in a way that we are aware of that mm-hmm. Yeah, as we're talking about this. And yeah. it can be easily degraded into just meme culture. Mm, and have yes. you guys seen all of the uh, the internet stuff about typing the friends characters? It's hilarious. <laughs> and people get into massive like fights about it oh on gosh. the internet, like trying to figure out if Monica is a 
you know, a self-pres two or like, is she a three? And all of these questions, you know, about like, it's, it's fun to do it once you get into the Enneagram, but it's also like, like proceed with caution. It sort of degrades it a little bit. Yeah. A little, it can, if you're not careful. Yeah. Or it just turns it into a personality type system, which it is not. Mm -hmm. And people, you know, I think like you may even hear us in this podcast use the word pers- per- personality test, use those words, and and we're just using them loosely because like that's not a great term for anything that exists out there. There's like personality test is not a great term to use, <laughs> but because it's in the common vernacular and we slip into it sometimes. But I think kind of what you're saying is like if you just say, well, this is my type, like that's not even what the Enneagram is trying to do. Mm-hmm. It's not trying to like slap labels on people. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, totally. I think that's a good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So with that said, guys, yes. what's your number? <laughs> Let's talk about what your number is. And uh, just briefly, we don't have to jump jump into it too deeply because maybe people care about what our numbers <laughs> is, but maybe they don't. Um, so Kate, We are the most important people in the world. <laughs> anybody listening to this podcast. Right now, <laughs> we are the most important people in this room recording this podcast <laughs> at this moment. <laughs> Right? Right. And our listeners are also the most important people because they are Kate, what's your number? I'm number five. All right. Yes. And how did you, like, what part about it were you like, ding, ding, ding? Well, first describe that a little bit, what a a five is. Okay, you may actually be better at that. Um, so some of the things that really resonate with me about being a five are um, I do love my solitude. I do feel the need to uh, get away from people and recharge my batteries more. I think I have less emotional energy for people than others may, especially like sevens and things like that, like <laughs> opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, just less emotional energy in general for, for things. And I think I'm an observer like kind of uh, take a step back and observe rather than like jumping into the thick of things really. And um, w- one thing that I think is true about the number in, from other people's experience of me is that I do think I come off as aloof or cold sometimes and that makes it hard for people to approach me. And it, it took me a long time to figure that out. And then it took a long time of me being like, how do I not be that? <laughs> I don't know how to not be that. Um, and then it took a little bit of like learning to be okay with like that. So, and so not to interrupt things, you, yeah. but the five is called uh, the investigator on the Enneagram. And uh, it is the intense cerebral type, um, perceptive, innovative, secretive, and isolated. And, uh, you know, fives are the basic fear is sort of being useless or helpless or incapable. Um, is that kind of? Yes. Needing other people. Needing other people. Okay. And, you know, insightful, curious, professor type, um, deep dives on internet searches and books (laughs) and, uh, can sometimes spend, you know, hours alone without even noticing, um, all of those things are typically true of your stereotypical Yes, five. in general. Yeah, in yeah. general. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, like, and at their best, like, visionary pioneer type people, 
um, often can be ahead of their time in some ways. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> sort of, Sorry. and kind of like Kate, <laughs> like, Kate, you throw these, these perceptions at us sometimes. And when you, you give talks or, you know, do something on the podcast, sometimes I'm like, wait, where I, I've never even thought of it like that. But fives are generally like really good at that. They're able to see the world in an entirely different way. And I think that's something that fives really bring unique, um, you know, it's almost like the fives I know bring bring out the absolute best in whatever it is they're doing, and they're like they're going to always somehow like blow you away with the magic of mm. honing in on the thing. Like you're not going to talk around stuff that much. You're going to hone in on it, and I love that about the fives in my life. Mm-hmm. We're also the creeps of the Enneagram because we're like explain. Well, for myself, like I've had to pretend that I don't observe as much as I observe because when I was younger and I would like drop a fact about somebody that I knew and they'd be like, "Why do you know that?" And I'm like, "Well, because I learned it 10 years ago or you know, or I noticed it and didn't feel the need to say anything about it at the time or and, you know, I think it can be thoughtful, but also it can be maybe like I am noticing a lot of things that I just never mentioned to people because it would be weird. Mm-hmm. So right. there's, mm-hmm. there's that you can have just like dial it back a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and kind of that relentless pursuit of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Do you find that to be true? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your favorite thing about being a five? Being alone. <laughs> oh, that's such a good like stereotypical. Answer. I love it. <laughs> love it. I say stereotypical because not all fives. Like if you get into and mm-hmm. again, I'm gonna get into this a little bit. You know, in uh, the the talk that I do at the gathering, but not all fives really present the same. Yes. So because wh- I think I'm a self pres five, uh-huh. yeah, which means like I'm constantly seeking to like preserve my energy and preserve mm-hmm. my resources for mm-hmm. myself and like. Is really being stingy with yeah and so just to just to kind of subtext there the the subtypes there can be three different ones there can be a self-preservation which kate just said she was um a one-to-one or sexual and then a social and we won't get into that tonight but that being said you know i say stereotypical five because they all don't present exactly the same uh, but there is that sort of hallmarky type of five kind of bookish thirst for knowledge professory you know um alone time type of a five so but and I think the most fascinating thing before we move on I think is um that it's called the professor sometimes but really that that interest in things can manifest in a lot of different ways you could meet a baker who's just really good at baking who happens to be a five because they mm-hmm. really wanted to get like they just really focus all of their attentions to getting good and learning everything or um, just anything like that. So if you run into somebody who says they're five and you don't see them reading all the time, don't be surprised. They have something. Mm-hmm. There's something <laughs> they're, they're just like really into. So, and spending a lot of time researching and looking at. So, mm-hmm. you know, things don't always look that way. You might like miss, you know, miss a, a, a number on somebody sometimes, but it usually like makes sense once you know. Mm-hmm. So, Michelle, what about you? What number are you? I'm a four. I am a social four, mm-hmm. um, and that basically means, well, I don't know. It it basically means that fours are the, what are we called, Jen? 
We are called the individualist. Yeah. So. Or, yeah. Yeah. The individualist. Basically like the passionate. Or the, roma- or the romantic. Yeah. I was going to say the passionate creative. <laughs> the dramatic ones on the Enneagram spectrum. Um, which is interesting because I never thought. <laughs> this is going to be so poor of me to say. But I was always like. I don't think I'm that dramatic. <laughs> but then if you ask Jeff and he read the fours, he like slapped himself silly because he was like, this is so you. You know, and I was like, oh man, this is embarrassing. Um, but I'm a four and what really resonated with me on the four was um, sort of in a back end sort of a way, a need to be um, individual and I think that, man, we could, I could go on for a long time about this, but I think that comes a lot of, in a lot of ways from being a twin. What? What? <laughs> How does that affect you uh, in all the ways? Um, but I think that there's a high need to be an individual. And um, I've always been taking a lot of pride in being a twin and never really felt uh, like I was always trying to be an individual, but now looking back on the Enneagram and seeing that I can tell now, that's what I was alluding to earlier, is that I can tell now that a lot of my things are motivated by how am I special? How am I important? How do I, um, how do I matter in this group? And if I don't matter, that is really hurtful to me. Um, or if I feel like I'm not being treated as if I matter, that was really hurtful to me. And there's a lot of things about the fours that um, when I read it, I just, it just kind of read my mail, so to speak. Um, I always thought I was a two um, before I really dove into it because I am a mother. <laughs> and I think a lot of moms get mistyped as twos because we are spending so much time taking care of other I think you're right. people and our other people's lives. And I would say that a big part of my life these days has been devoted to kind of everyone else in some ways. So there is a lot of the two that I really do... Um, that I resonate with, but I think it's more out of my place in life than it is my actual personality. You know that the four goes to a two in stress. Right. <laughs> yeah. So like, I think whenever I, whenever I do, um, feel stressed that th- those tend to be the uglier parts of me. Um, and so I think that both of those things were kind of confusing at first, but then whenever I really understood my number and really understood my motivations and what kind of drives me, it is sort of this like underlying need to be, oh, it sounds so ugly, but like kind of special and important and, and be an individual. And like I said, I really do think that comes a lot from being a twin. Sorry, Jen, <laughs> but you're the same number. Sorry, but. <laughs> oh, spoiler. I wanted to add something and I want to ask you what your favorite part and your not so uh-huh. favorite part is, but just that, that thought on growth and stress so a four goes to one in growth mm-hmm. and um a two in stress and i think it's interesting to note i heard this you know in a couple different places but i just wanted to kind of recap this briefly it's interesting to me that we think growth oh they're doing really well they're healthy and stress oh they're stressed out or they're unhealth and those are sort of some of the terms that get thrown around with the enneagram however Um, if you kind of deep dive into it, a lot of like schools of thought will tell you actually with the growth in your number, it's where you're kind of going to, like if you're in a good place, if things are going right, and then the stress is not necessarily bad stress or I'm unhealthy. It could just be that you're in a more high pressure situation or if you are needing to excel at something 
or needing to, you know, get, get something done, for instance, or, you know, motherhood or whatever. So it's not necessarily like that's where you go in your bad place all the time. And I think that's sort of, a di- that's, it's not, doesn't have to be a negative thing. It's yes, more, it's yeah. more that you will take on those characteristics when right. things are stressful, whether that's a good thing or bad, but it doesn't mean that that's always a negative thing. Right. Yeah. Or that even going to a one is always positive. Yeah. Right. I think that that's fascinating to think about. I, I didn't really think of it that way. I often thought of it as like when I'm unhealthy, I'm mm-hmm. turning into a seven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but honestly, like when I look back on times of stress, both the good and bad stress in my life, the characteristics of an unhealthy seven do begin to manifest like the, the chaos and mm-hmm. the um, just everything that goes along with that. So I think that's a really interesting observation. Yeah, and that's a deep dive because not everybody's yeah. going to agree on that. Not every institute mm-hmm. or accreditation, you know, mm-hmm. Enneagram situation is going to, however you call those, um, is going to agree on that because a lot of people do throw around the, you go to, you know, this number in health and this number in, um, uh, unhealth or whatever, if you're unhealthy, you're here, you know, that kind of thing Mm -hmm. or, but I have heard it explained that way. And I prefer that personally, because I think it it kind of encompasses a, a little bit more nuance and some variables that I think are, really present in life that you can't just simply say unhealth and health like you're healthy Mm -hmm. you're healthy michelle because you look like a one you know what i mean that that does not it's it's there's so much nuance um especially we can we've talked about it all throughout our podcast um (laughs) what it's like to be a mom or to be in those kind of stressful Mm -hmm. situations so anyway i just wanted to pause you there yeah yeah so my favorite thing about being a four is is that i am so comfortable sitting in any emotion and I think that has played very well into my profession into my relationships and I just feel really comfortable in sadness and I feel really comfortable in happiness and I feel really comfortable in melancholy I feel very comfortable in all of the range of emotions and it doesn't scare me and I kind of feel a little proud about that sometimes, like that it's kind of, um, it's really helped me a lot um, from being a counselor because there's a lot of times whenever, um, especially when I was working with like students and they would come in and have a really, really terrible situation that they could explain to me and it didn't scare me. And I think that working with young people as a counselor, that's a huge asset because so many times they're told students, especially or kids are told not to feel a certain way that that's not comfortable, that that doesn't make me feel comfortable. So you should not feel that way. And since children are so often taking on the cues of adults, they will just shut down and not tell you what's going on in their lives. But because I think that I'm so comfortable in any space, any emotional space that it's, um, it's, it's becomes a really good trait and characteristic to be able to talk to people and to meet with them where they're at. And so I very much enjoy that. And I also really enjoy just kind of the endless creative energy that I have. Um, I really like the fact that my brain is so so energized by being creative. And so whether it's um, rearranging my house for the 50th time because I care about that so much or if it's um, painting or if it's, you know, taking photos of my kids and like editing them for Instagram, it's kind of all of those things really matter to me. And I love that they kind of give me juice. And I think that's a big part of being a four is, is that you just kind of are naturally sort of creative and want to express yourself. And so I think that's been a really fun part of being a four and I really like it. Hmm. Yeah. Anything you want to talk about that you don't like? Um, 
Is that a not question? That no, we're I'm totally fine with that. I mean, I feel like I've been a pretty open book throughout this entire podcast and everything bravery board. Um, I would say that what I don't like about it is that sometimes my emotions can be so strong that it will like they derail my brain. So I really, truly believe that this is the truth of how things are when it's just a feeling. And I've had to teach myself over the years to not always believe my feelings and that those aren't necessarily true. And I've really had to train myself to not just get stuck there because it's so easy for me to, especially if I get in a fight with Jeff or if I'm you know, feeling really down about something, I can stay there for far too long and not see like the good. So I've struggled with depression off and on for a really long time. And part of it has been that, especially when I was younger, I would just believe so much that I was a failure, that I wasn't doing this right, or that this was so hard. And then I wouldn't be able to pull myself out of it because to me, that was truth. So and there wasn't a lot of logic there. And so I think that was that's kind of been my least favorite part about it is that I feel like I've really had to train myself. And still to this day, I really have to work hard. If I'm in a bad mood and I'm having a hard day, like I really um, am really working on trying to not let that color my interactions with everyone in my house and with everything going on in my life. Because if I'm down or having a hard time, it tends to kind of just color everything. And I, um, I don't like that so much. Hmm. And I've really been really working on it with my family, especially hmm. because it used to be, I think that with my kids, especially if I was having a hard time, I would just kind of emote that in a way that wasn't helpful for them because they're like, why do you get to just be cranky? And I'm like, because I'm cranky. And it's like, well, yeah, but that's not the way you parent. You have to kind of edit that around your children. And I think that was a really hard thing for me to to learn. And so I'm still working on it, but I think I'm a lot better, but I have a long ways to go. Hmm. So like even tonight is a good example, right before you guys got here to work on this, I was having a hard time with my boys. They were, I think it's just winter and they're just cooped up in the house and they are driving me a little bit insane because they were just running up and down and screaming. My seven-year-old likes to like scream, especially when he's been cooped up and hasn't had a lot of exercise, which he didn't today. And so I felt like um, just really cooked up. And also I felt like I was about to explode and I was getting really annoyed with the level of noise in the house. And so I had to go and lock myself in my room. And I told Elias, I just need space for about five minutes and I will come out and I'll be fine. But I just need space because honestly, it's, I, your level of noise is just too loud for me. And, and that's me working on that instead of kind of getting onto him and being angry. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, it, it did. And one thing that I was thinking about actually earlier today was like, you two are both fours. Lindsay's a four. Um, a lot of people that I have like affinity for more so than just like liking them, but just like feeling a, a connection with them are fours. Hmm. Or fives. <laughs> and so it's like I'm drawn to people who are like me or I'm drawn to people who... And I think the thing about fours is like you are able to normalize the thing that I have trouble doing. Oh, like yeah. you normalize having feelings where like in my understanding it's like, oh, don't let people know you have those. Because mm-hmm. if you don't show them, they'll think you don't. <laughs> and like you can trick them. <laughs> but it's like you totally normalize having... And when I see you doing it, I'm like, oh, okay, that's not so bad. I guess I can do that. And so it kind Aww. of you bring me out a little bit to be able to like share my feelings and so, yeah, it's it's really nice. Oh, really well, nice. Thanks. Yeah, 
because mm-hmm. it's there's a dark side to it for sure. But thank you for that. <laughs> All right, Jen. Other four. Yeah. So I, Jen, am a self-preservation four with a wing five. If you want to throw mm-hmm. a wing in there. Um. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, what's the question, I guess? Because we've already talked about fours quite a, a bit, well, so what I don't do want you... to double dip. Did I miss anything about what being a four is like? Um, I mean, the biggest thing, that, the biggest fear that they struggle with is envy. Uh, so, you know, and it's interesting with Michelle and I, so I really had a um, hard time figuring out what type I was. Um, in the beginning, I thought maybe for a while I was a three, I thought maybe for a while that I was a six and then I finally was like, oh my goodness, I am a four. When I started really dissecting what it was like with that envy piece, um, especially because for listeners that may not know this, it's really helpful not to think of where you're at currently with your life. Like if you're in your 30s or 40s or 50s, 60s even, um, it's more like you don't really want to think about it so much as where you're at right now as opposed to where you were at when you were in your early 20s. <laughs> huh. Did you know that? No. Yeah. So, that. yeah, it's most it's important to when you're thinking about your type um to think about it from your early 20s perspective. So, whenever I heard that for the first time, it really helped me land on what my type actually was. And then um and I'm, the reason being I'll cut you off is just if you think about when you're 20s, you weren't really too clued into how to fix your oh, your okay. your things that maybe weren't mm-hmm. so attractive to other people or to yourself and so you didn't have all those mechanisms to sort of like I didn't know in my 20s that I needed to be um less dramatic <laughs> <laughs> to put it lightly now yeah. I do have a follow-up question about that uh-huh. um before you no go for it on. um you know in my early 20s I was deep um in in the in in the middle of this undiagnosed depression. And I think that really influenced what my number would have been. And in fact, I think it might've made it more inaccurate. Like I'm, I I guess I'm kind of curious in in other people's experiences with mental illness, how did that impact the Mm. accuracy Mm -hmm. of them finding their number? Because I think I still would have been a five because the characteristics that are present now were present then. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was, um, just not emotionally stable enough. And I think maybe I would have come off much more as an unhealthy four, which I think a four is maybe my wing. I don't know, but, mm-hmm. or, or a six even with a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, so not that we have an answer to that, but kind of just throwing that out as something like, I, I'm very curious about like how that impacts mm-hmm. oh, yeah. the, the finding of your number and what your results would be. Yeah. What your answers to questions would be. Yeah. 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 I, <laughs> it, it, that is interesting. But yeah, when I heard that a light bulb sort of went off for me because, um, you know, these days I think I can present a little bit more light and airy, um, than maybe even what I feel on a regular day, uh, but in my early 20s, I think I really, you know, with fours, it's kind of said that they can sort of experience a whole range of emotions from the highest high to the lowest low all in one day. Um, whereas I lived thinking that was completely normal and everybody experienced that. Now the, the Enneagram has kind of helped me come with language and figuring out like, oh, that isn't normal for everyone. <laughs> like not everybody like feels euphorically high and really low all in the same day. And that's just a normal everyday experience for, you know, so 
that was really helpful to me whenever I was figuring out um, the Enneagram. And then also, like I'm going to talk about uh, when we do the gathering. So spoiler, this will be in another podcast coming up. Um, when I found out my subtype, which is self-preservation and even deep diving a little bit more into the wings and what that means. Um, because Kate, you kind of mentioned I might have looked like a four or a six. There's reasons for that when you get into like what a wing actually does um, mm-hmm. and how it kind of shields you. Um, so she's making shielding. Motions I'm making shielding notions see, as like, I'm like, it's, oh, it's I can't wait to elegant hear. Things. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> a teaser. Yeah. And you know, everybody says on the Enneagram, like, oh, I'm a wing, blah, blah, blah. And it's interesting because it, it has merit, but it's also, it, as you research a little bit more and find out a little bit more about wings, it doesn't always like the meme culture doesn't explain it that well. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So we'll get into that. But, um, all of that to say, you know, I'm not going to, to, like say the exact same things you are Michelle but that's probably what I would say my favorite thing um, is probably having the tendency to um, have a level of empathy for people that is helpful in everyday situations so as you know a coach for people that are support raising doing something very challenging in ministry situations I find it very helpful for me to um, easily be empathetic and put myself in their shoes. And I've always had the ability to sort of see from both sides of a situation. And I think that comes from being, you know, an empath- more empathetic person just because of that number and the way that it presents. So that's probably one of my favorite things. Um, I would say, you know, that range of emotions that one can feel in one day may be one of my my least favorite things is just uh, trying to figure out how to curb those emotions and doing the work on that has def- definitely um, been helpful for me to have language for. And maybe I won't even say that it's my least favorite thing, but I think maybe one of the most helpful things about the Enneagram for me is that I have learned how to have language um, for that type of growth that you do. And how does that, like, oh my goodness, I'm experiencing three emotions in one day. Oh, that's a normal thing for me. Oh, how do I grow? And how do I, you know, how do I live my day? Or how do I go throughout my day knowing that? And then also sort of curbing that and figuring out how to process that information. So, yeah. So I don't know. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. So that's where I'm at. It is interesting being the same number. and sort (laughs) of almost having the same, like, I, I always wonder with the Enneagram, it, does it come from a childhood experience? Does it come from, like, are you just born that way, you know? Yeah. Well, some people will say that it does. Other Enneagram teachers say that it it, it does, but they don't know how valid that is. Right. Um, so every number is like, you become a four because you were wounded and abandoned at some point. Um, but that may or may not be true, and some people take a lot of stock in that. Um, some places do or some institutes do and then other teachers do not so I think everybody sort of has a different opinion on that well I can tell you as children of a nine and an eight (laughs) that it's not just like passed down from the parents Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that I think I mean I can totally point to being a twin as being a big part of why I'm a four and um yeah anyway well we were going to cover like how we learned about the Enneagram and then how is knowing your number impacted you. But you know what? I think we should save that for next time. Because I have a feeling we've been talking for a while. (laughs) Turns out, guys. Which means they've been listening for a while. (laughs) Turns out that if you know a lot about the Enneagram, you can just talk and talk and talk and talk. No, it's good. It's a really good conversation to have. But we want to talk a little bit next time about how it impacts our families and how it impacts us as members of society and members in our um, 
families, but also how we have grown through it. And so we're going to talk about that next time. Um, anything else? Any other thoughts before we sign off? I don't think so. No? Nope. Just um, all of... A lot of the things that we chatted about today will be in the podcast notes so that if you want to do uh, take the paid ready test or visit any of the websites associated with that in the I think it's the Enneagram Institute or mm-hmm. the um, yeah Riso Hudson um, will have those links for you in the notes yeah show right. notes show notes okay thanks thanks for listening guys Hey guys, Michelle here. If you liked what was talked about on this podcast, let us know. We want to hear from you and get your feedback. Also, we kind of want to know who you are. We know we have listeners from all over the world, so please reach out. You can find us by searching The Bravery Board on Facebook or Instagram, or by going to our website, thebraveryboard.com. Also, please give us a rating in iTunes. Yeah, we know it kind of takes a few minutes, but it helps us spread the word. And we're kind of all about this message of thriving. As always, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for being you. You guys are awesome.